first off, just to note, uh, the word nibbana, sometimes in Sanskrit known as nirvana, is not a place, it's not a location, it is a, a verb uh, that means extinguishing, uh, cooling down, putting out a fire, blowing out. Actually, the word, the etymology of the word is literally to blow out something, like a candle. And in Buddhism, it's associated with blowing out the fires of uh, craving, hatred, self-fixation, so forth, that add needless suffering to our lives. It doesn't put out the necessary emotional pains that we can't get through life without experiencing. It's not possible to live without feeling at times loneliness, sadness, anger, fear. All those are universal emotions. But as the Buddha noted in the Second Noble Truth, a lot of our suffering is uh, a reaction to life that is based on this idea that somehow we can figure out a way to live without experiencing any suffering, and that actually adds so much more suffering into the mix. So this, these practices are about cooling down, establishing a new relationship with our experience so that we can uh, be with life in a profoundly different way. So, samadhi is uh, essentially tranquility, but it's associated with concentration meditation. Concentration meditation practices are pretty much what you would think they are from the, wor the word concentration. You select an object and you keep it in awareness. And even if other objects or uh, sensations or thoughts or uh, body feelings or whatever come up, you keep your focused attention on the object that you've selected. So generally the way it works is that we select an object that's very pleasant. It would be kind of pointless and stupid to focus your attention on the least comfortable sensation in your body unless you were trying to establish discomfort. And or you might start by focusing your awareness on a sensation that is ongoing, like the breath, or just a body sensation in a certain area that's neutral. Now, if you choose a neutral object, there's some benefits for that, which is, one, <coughs> neutral objects don't tend to activate your midbrain, your amygdala, your, hypo your hypothalamus, excuse me. So it actually decreases the amount of reactivity, agitation, the release of stress hormones like cortisol. By keeping your awareness on an ongoing neutral sensation, like for example, the feeling of breathing in and out. That is a sensation that is not associated with threat, nor is it associated with a big survival advantage. So if you can learn to develop an attention that can stay with your breathing, what you've cultivated is a state where you are not being triggered by threats or by 
survival opportunities. You're just paying attention to something. Now, with most people, when we go into a state where we are not searching the world for opportunities or threats, what we tend to do is go into what's called default mode network, which means, that's a fancy word for, we think about ourselves. We stop paying attention to our task, and we go off into self-centered, self-centered uh, cognitive ideations. We create entire fantasies. We daydream. We worry. We essentially create a story about ourselves. And studies have shown that whenever we go on extended self-referential thinking, it leads directly to stress. If you've ever allowed yourself to think about yourself without any purpose or direct goal in mind, you've probably found that it doesn't head towards feelings of completion, confidence, achieving everything. You don't have a lot of gratitude. Most of the time it's been found by the studies of Gilbert and Killingsworth that when we allow ourselves just to daydream and the mind to wander, it winds up on stressful negative self-evaluation. In other words, I'm not doing enough, I'm not accomplishing enough, why are other people happier than I am, why don't I have this or that? So the key in working with a neutral object like the breath or maybe sounds is to learn how to not allow your mind to wander off into thought. If you can do that, you go into another brain state called task positive, which has been found to be extremely pleasant. Task positive is the state when somebody's doing a very relaxing, self-soothing activity. For example, lying in savasana after yoga, gardening, knitting, drawing, something that doesn't require a great deal of energy, but is just relaxing and soothing. So the goal is to get out of the thinking, the self-referential thinking, and to just develop enough a quality of awareness that can stay with the task. And if you can do that, you will very soon be able to develop a lot of ease. Because again, you're not activating your midbrain, task positive is very comfortable, and hopefully you're focusing on a neutral sensation that over time becomes more and more pleasant. For example, the breath, over time, you can extend it, you can make it more relaxing, you can breathe into different areas of the body, and you can make it pleasant. When you stay with this enough, you go into <coughs> a state that's called access concentration, and that means you're now at a place where you can go into the jhanas, where the enlightenment stages and the awakening stages can occur. Access concentration is a fancy term for a state where things that are called hindrances, states such as uh, worry, anxiety, uh, greed, resentment and aversion, self-doubt, all of those states that agitate begin to subside. They dissipate. Now at this point, you really want to shift your attention to a sensation that's very, very pleasant. Either make the breath as pleasant as you can or find a sensation in your body that's very pleasant. 
The Buddha says that the next stage is to simply stay with an area as long as it feels pleasant and it feels like something you can maintain awareness on. So you might, for example, breathe what it feels like to breathe into your eyes and just feel that sensation. And you stay there for a while, and then after a while you might find that it's no longer producing a state of ease. And so you then would move and shift your awareness to another part of your body and find a new pleasant sensation. So this moving about over time, finding new areas that are pleasant, is called vitaka vikara. It simply means focusing around finding the area that feels pleasant, where you can abide and stay with whatever's happening. And over time, your mind becomes stiller and quieter and more tranquil. Eventually, you don't have to do any of that looking around for pleasure. You're found just being with your body or the sensation of breathing, or it could be another anchor. It's really, really pleasant. Now, most people will stop there. It feels really, really good. You can abide in it for hours on end. If you get to that place, it has been some monks, I'm not sure if I believe them, they say it's better than sex, but they don't actually have sex, so <laughs> who knows? Well, when you were a monk, you had sex, right? Yeah, you were you mean before. Before. No. <laughs> but when you were a Tibetan monk, you could have sex, right? No, no, you're celibate. Yeah. You're celibate, okay, yes. So did you find the Samadhi states to be better than sex? <laughs> He's not commenting. He's like, oh, you didn't reach those. Yeah, I didn't reach those either. So just beware of the kind of teachers you're with. We didn't get to that, that vaunted plane where it was better than sex, okay? But theoretically, we're now into the thought experiment. You get to a place where it's really super pleasant, and you now can go into what's called the arupa jhanas, which is the place where you let go of focusing on your body and you become aware of the qualities and limitlessness and abilities, capabilities of consciousness itself. Now that sounds very abstract, and so the simplest way I've ever done it on retreat, uh, and I was taught this by... Tomato um, <coughs> does this one, which is essentially focus your attention on the spaces between your thoughts when your mind is quiet. And what is it like to be in a state of consciousness where we're not aligning or identifying with thought as who we are? What's it like when instead we open up awareness to and we become completely fascinated and fixated on the space that lies between the thinking, the experience of simply being awake, but without having any content, so to speak, or thought. It's just awareness in and of itself. Now, if you can do this, really move into what Sameda called silence of the mind, then you get to the final state where enlightenment happens. So you're all going to be doing this this afternoon, <laughs> the night. You get to a state known as atamayata. And that simply means a state where you are 
aware of everything that's happening and your mind never collapses or shrinks around any specific thought or object or body sensation, nor does it push anything away. Your mind is always as open and spacious as the sky. And the thoughts and the sensations and the memories and the feelings in the body are just drifting through, but your mind doesn't collapse around them like it does most of the time. Our left hemisphere fixates our attention and we become less aware of what else is present. You could think of it as when you walk into a party and that first moment you see everyone there, you take in the music, you're aware of the entire gestalt, the entire feeling, and you're in the experience, but you're not focusing your awareness on any one person or any single object. You are just drinking in the totality of being in an experience. Are you following me? That's your right hemisphere, and we, unfortunately, adults, we use it far too infrequently. Most of our lives, what we're doing is moving into a new situation, then immediately collapsing and focusing on one part of a experience. Oh, look at that person. Boy, don't they look weird. And Oh, boy, that's an attractive person. That reminds me of my ex. Ew. You know, <laughs> etc. So what we're doing is the mind is collapsing and that movement is stressful. And the Buddha said at the end of his life that he lived in this pure, open, spacious emptiness, shunyata, where his mind would never, ever collapse. He was aware of everything, but he would never shrink, become fixated or obsessed. He just was fully alive, awake, and present. And that is when <coughs> there's a radical transformation. Nothing anymore is that stressful. We don't resist life. We greet experience with a sense that nothing is that overwhelming. The Buddha uses an analogy of if you put uh, salt in a small cup of water, the small cup becomes undrinkable. But if you put a teaspoon of salt in a reservoir, the reservoir water is still drinkable. And so he's, that's an analogy for that state where your mind is not collapsed fixated, it's open, so the irritating people are still there, the good people, the neutral people, the sensations that are pleasant and unpleasant, they're all happening. You're not pushing away anything, but you are not anymore just focusing all the time on the threats or opportunities. You feel safe and complete in your life. So, that is the road of the jhanas uh, as provided by concentration meditation. And that was a very brief overview, but we're going to actually put it into practice for the first half of the meditation. Now the second is vipassana. Vipassana means to see into, and there's virtually no references to vipassana in the original Pali Canon. The Buddha used the word maybe four or five times, and it was never associated with a practice. It, a thousand years after the Buddha's death, a monk 
in Sri Lanka, Buddhaghosa wrote a book on what his interpretation of a path to enlightenment was. And it was a very brilliant book called the Sudhimaga. And then in the 20th century, a lot of Buddhist monks, such as um, Mahasi Sayadaw, who was probably the most famous, and another guy named S.N. Goenka, you might have heard of Vipassana retreats run by Goenka Institute, they <coughs> took this new practice and developed it into something that was very, very easy to learn and easy to put into practice. And it's become in many ways associated with um, American insight meditation. So, Vipassana is often mistaken, I should say, with something called mindfulness. Mindfulness derives from a Buddhist term, sati, and mindfulness is a very, very, very different practice than Vipassana. They are not really related. Vipassana, uh, mindfulness, sati, is essentially breaking down all of your experiences into four categories, your body states, your feelings, the moods of your mind, and your thoughts. And one by one, paying attention to those groups one at a time, first your body, then your feelings, etc. And you categorize the contents of each of those four planes in terms of is this useful for enlightenment or is it not? Is it, use, is it skillful or is it unskillful? So there's a lot of evaluating and it's very systemic. It goes from one plane, the breath, to the next plane, feelings, the next plane to emotional moods, to the next plane, thoughts, okay? So it's very systemic, and it's very, very evaluative. You categorize what is in each plane. Vipassana is very flexible. You don't have a priority of what you're going to pay attention to. The standard practice of Vipassana is to rest your awareness on a neutral sensation, again, the breath perhaps, until anything calls attention. It could suddenly be the sound of somebody swallowing loudly or fidgeting. It could be the sound of uh, something outside on the street. It could be an uncomfortable body sensation. It could suddenly be a memory or a thought. And what you do... <clears throat> is you drop paying attention to the breath, so it's very flexible. You're not sticking with the breath like in concentration, the first practice we did. You're just dropping the breath, and you're now going to this object that is called your attention, and you're staying with it, and you're observing it. You're not climbing inside the thought. You're simply observing the thought from the outside, like you're looking at a store window, but you're not going inside the store. You're not climbing into the thought. You're just watching how long the thought is there, how it arises, and how it fades. This is sometimes helped in Mahasi Sayadaw's practice, and in Goenka they say label. That doesn't mean categorize or judge. Just say thought, or feeling, or memory, or plan. Don't overthink the label. Just come up with a simple word to know what it is, and that will help detach, and then just observe it as it eventually, over time, changes, 
fades and dissolves into silence, and then you go back to your breath and you wait till the next thing comes along. It's sometimes also known as choiceless awareness. You're not choosing what you're focusing. You're letting whatever wants to be observed come to you. You're just not identifying with it. You're staying outside of it. The practice has also got a quality of bare attention, which means there's absolutely no judgment. You don't have an opinion about it. You don't classify thoughts as good or bad. You don't classify feelings as pleasurable or unpleasurable. In mindfulness, you do that all the time. So, what happens if you want to take this to a state of awakening, you do this for a very, very long period of time and an extended retreat. And to be sure, Mahasi Sayadaw and Goenka both envisioned this practice not to be done at home. It was to be done on retreats if you were going to do it for any extended period of time. And I think when you hear what you'll experience if it's done for a very long time, you'll understand why. So, if you simply focus on the experience, eventually they say to focus on how every experience dissolves or ceases or comes to an end. It becomes a focus on how impermanent every experience in your life is. That's what we focus on. So you sit, you breathe, oh, here comes a... Here comes a feeling in the body. Let's observe the feeling just in terms of watching the feeling subside and go away. Oops, there comes a idea. Let's watch the idea call for our attention and eventually it fades because we're not giving, we're not climbing into it, we're not feeding it. Oops, there comes a mood. I feel sad. Let's see how long the sadness stays. You're just watching every experience in terms of how it's impermanent. <clears throat> it's a little bit like, imagine that you were standing at a side of a road and the cars are coming and going, and you just turn, so the only thing you see is cars going away into the distance. You don't see anything arriving anymore, just everything fading. Over time, if you stay with it, it becomes pretty fucking unsettling. Because what you're doing is you're giving your awareness, this deeply embedded, uh, not even a thought-based, but you're a, an implicit, deep awareness that everything in life is impermanent. Everything. Every state, every experience, every feeling, every thought. Nothing is reliable. Nothing is satisfactory because it will fade. This creates what's called baya nana, and it's called fear. <laughs> if you take the progress of insight and you really stay with the impermanence of things, you will experience a state that's unsettling because everything, everything we've been chasing in our lives, every state of comfort, eating food, uh, relaxing, everything becomes clearly seen or experienced as fleeting, unreliable, something that will not last, is not dependable. 
Dispassion grows. Clinging to things over time becomes feels ridiculous. Because why should I cling to the feeling of, of uh, watching Wild Wild Country on Netflix when it will end? And I'll, <laughs> and I'll be back feeling lonely in my apartment. What's the point? <laughs> and, you know, the favorite foods. We begin to just focus on how the taste that tastes so good. I've been re getting into these Beyond Burgers. This is not a commercial. I just really like you like <laughs> so fucking good. If you don't eat meat, I haven't eaten meat in 40 years. It's just like fucking. It's like eating meat again, which I shouldn't say with that kind of voice. It sounds like that. <laughs> I've been a vegetarian all of my fucking life, but like so. Anyway, these things <laughs> taste so good. But even if I was doing this practice, I'd focus on the deliciousness of the fake meat fading into back into nothingness once again. So after the dispassion comes, you reach a state of sankara upekka, which simply means you have an equanimity towards everything that arises. And because you're no longer grasping onto things, you're no longer clinging or running because you know that everything's impermanent, you've actually somehow wound up at the exact same awareness that samadhi or concentration is. You're present, but you're not reactive or clinging or grasping or in any way averse to anything. People who are irritating, you know, knock for your attention, you know that worrying about them seeking your attention will not matter because it's going to fade. It's not permanent. It's going to pass quickly. The things that you used to run towards, you don't run towards them because you know they will fade too. You have this state of equanimity and peacefulness. So that's it. That's the summary. We're now going to practice. So find a really comfortable seated position. So see if you can first, uh, with your eyes closed, um, looking around is a very agitating quality because it tends to trigger again and again and again the sympathetic nervous system, we almost invariably see something that triggers subtle states of aversion or craving or what's known in psychology as approach and withdrawal. So when you close your eyes, all that's really left are the sensations of sound. You might see lights flickering behind closed eyelids. But these sensations, body sensations as well, and of course there'll be thoughts floating there, but <coughs> these sensations are far less triggering. And so what I'd like you to do first is find a good balance, which simply means you might sway from left to right or front to back until your body on its own just comes to a settled position.
See if you can cultivate that feeling in the body of arriving at a destination that you've really been looking forward to. So when we arrive at that really remote beach spot where the sun and the wind feels just perfect, not too much wind, the waves are lapping, creating a soothing background sound, the sand is very soft and pliant, and you put down a blanket, and you just sink into the experience, and what happens to really make that feel like a destination is, one, the body relaxes, we stop resisting, we let go of that busyness in the shoulders, so see if you can Lift your shoulders for a moment and then drop them. And pull open slightly, pull them back so you can open up the chest and then tuck in the belly tight and then relax, soften the belly. You might clench the jaw or squinch the eyes for a moment and then release those. And really, the thing that makes special places feel special is not so much what's there, as in the sights or sounds. It's really the fact that when we reach those places, we relax. We stop holding the busyness in our body. And we come to a stillness. So quite frankly, we can have that any time in life we choose to come to a place where we relax the body. Now the other thing that makes a beach or a mountain or a exotic location feel so special is that while we're there, we give ourselves permission to not worry about the future obsess about the past, or be concerned by things that are happening elsewhere. We go into a state of having nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to please or take care of. So all that kind of thinking we say right now, I don't need to do anything. I can just be here. So as we go through some of this practice, when your mind does wander once again into the planning or memory of events or just random the most important thing to do is don't get impatient or frustrated. It happens to everyone. Just gently bring your awareness back. Nothing other than kindness and gentleness, like you're escorting a child back from a dangerous part of a park to a more comfortable place. And when you return 
to the present. Just give yourself a nice rewarding breath. Relax your shoulders and stomach again. Just re-arrive. So I'd like you to select an area of your body that you're going to breathe into. I like to sometimes breathe into my eyes. Imagine what that feels like, the breath coming in. And when it comes into the eye sockets, I experience the in-breath as bringing my awareness to the feelings and sensations there. And then when I breathe out, I relax any tension in the muscles around the eyes and muscles in the rest of the head. You can breathe into anywhere in the body you want. You could breathe into the back of your neck, your forehead. Just find an area that you really like to settle and relax. Try to cultivate a um, in-breath that's very, you're not pulling it in, you're allowing it in. So there's no effort to it. And you're just feeling the breath sensations in this area you've chosen. For example, the eyes. You feel the sensations of the eyes while you're breathing in. And then when you're breathing out, you feel... Everything associated with your eyes relaxing and softening. And you're just going to stay here and do that until something lets you know that you want to move the practice to another part of your body. And then you do that for a while, so you might eventually move from your eyes, for example, to feeling yourself breathing into the front of your throat, just feeling that sensation, aware of it when the in-breath, and then as you breathe out, relaxing, any tightness there. Breathing into the center of the chest, feeling those sensations on the in-breath, and then breathing out. The out-breath is not pushed out, it's released. The in-breath is accepted or allowed in. The out-breath is just released, not pushed out. The out-breath is very long. Try to allow it to be as full so that you're not cutting it off. The longer the out-breath, the more relaxed we become.
If you start to feel tired and sleepy, try to expand the awareness a little so that it's not confined to a small part of the body. Breathe into a wider area, feeling your entire, all the sensations of your chest as you breathe in, and then as you breathe out, feel the chest relaxing. If you get really tired, just as you breathe out, you can open up an eyelid, and then when you breathe in, close. So at this point, just allow the breath to be there, but we're going to now expand awareness. awareness. So while you know if you're breathing in or breathing out, also become aware of the front of your body, the area of the stomach, 
the chest, the throat, and the face, which is where we tend to experience most clearly gut feelings, Buddha called Vedana, those feelings of tightness when we're frightened, the stomach becomes tight, or when we're sad, the chest and lonely, the chest becomes contracted, or other sensations of stress where the front of the neck or the face becomes contracted, or states of ease when there's a sudden feeling of relaxation and soothing the belly just feels very, very settled. The chest feels very open, receiving life. There's no contraction in the neck or in the face. Just become aware, along with the breath, and your breathing, become aware of the sounds in the room around, even the lights flickering behind closed eyelids, hearing the rumble from the floor above, creaking, still aware of feelings, still aware of the breath, the mind becoming still present, but now more and more spacious. And into the awareness of sounds, feelings, breath. Also become aware of what mood you're in. Are you tired? Are you relaxed? Are you anxious? Are you happy? Are you craving food? Are you unhappy about something? How do you know you're in that mood? What's the quality of mind?
And lastly, for this practice, knowing, breathing in and breathing out, knowing what you're feeling in the front of your body, knowing the sounds that are present, the mood, any lights flickering behind closed eyelids, and then also aware now of any content that's floating like clouds through the mind. Whatever thought, image, constructed by the mind, you're not allowing your awareness to contract around anything. Everything is in your awareness. Everything. Nothing is pushed away. Nothing is focused on. Every time your mind starts to focus on any specific experience, return, bring back the breath, bring back the feelings, the sounds, the moods. This is a tamiyata. We open mind like a sky. Nothing clung to, nothing grasped after, nothing pushed away, just everything allowed in and allowed to pass. So now while you're presently abiding, I'd like you to wait until a single experience, it could be a thought, a feeling, a memory, and a, a mood, a body sensation, a sound. Something calls your attention. At this point we are going to move into Vipassana and you're going to bring your awareness to whatever dominant sensation calls for you. So suppose you're just here in this big spacious mind and then suddenly there's a memory of uh, interaction during the day. Just allow that image to be there, but you're just observing it like you might look at a movie. You're not in it. You're not in the movie. You're just noting it, just watching it from the outside, not adding, at most just add a nice little label, thought, feeling, breath, sound, watch it as it fades after a while. And then allow your mind to become spacious and open again until a new sensation calls for your attention. No judgment, no categories, no good or bad, 
just you're sitting in a seat and you're observing all the visitors to a room passing by you. They don't see you. You're just sitting there watching one sensation come and go, and then moving to the next sensation. Remember, you're not directing your attention. You're simply greeting whatever feels dominant, observing it from the outside, not adding. Just the most bare attention you can to it being present and then it fading. No judgment nothing to take personally. It's not your thoughts, your feelings, they're just things that are occurring.
So in a few moments I'm going to ring the bowl. And the request is, when you hear the sound, just open your eyes enough to look at the ground in front of you. Don't look around the room at first. And just integrate sight in terms of light and color into your awareness in such a way that you don't collapse your consciousness around it. You're still aware of your body breathing. You're still aware of the feelings in the front of your body. You're still aware of what mood you're in. This is a mindful awareness where the mind becomes fully integrated. When we feel the body, we're not just going by the instructions of the left brain, but we're also integrating the right brain, which speaks to us through attentional states in the body. And your right brain prioritizes not only your security, but your happiness and your connection to the world. So it's worth paying attention to how you feel, as well as what you think. So...